Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Carrie Ransom, in his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Welcome to the Accelerate Show. This is Carrie Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by OC4 Venture Studio, a new tech startup company building platform and community that we have put together here in Southern California. We've got a great group of first founders in the studio. And so if you're looking to meet some, uh, you're looking for help with your startup, you want to get involved in the next generation of really interesting companies getting born and grown here, or you just want to be part of this community, you can go to oc4v.com to learn more. I'm super excited to have my uh, new friend, I think somewhat new, uh, after a few conversations, uh, Ian Hathaway with me on the Accelerate Show today. And before we get to hear from Ian, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's been uh, multi-threaded in his career thus far, founder, investor, he's an author, he's a professor, he's an advisor, just to name a few. I, I haven't even uh, completed it. And he's currently also an executive at Techstars. He's a fellow at the Brookings Institution. He's a board member at the Center for American Entrepreneurship. And he recently co-authored a book called The Startup Community Way with his friend, Brad Feld. And he is just, he's the type of thinker, connector, advisor that we need in this country to really help us all better understand entrepreneurship, understanding investment, and really how we continue to transform our economy, which needs to happen in pretty much every part of this country at this part, at this point, to one that I would call, you know, much more focused on innovation and the future. Uh, so I really am excited about our chat. Uh, we, every time we do uh, talk about things, we cover a lot of ground. And so I think we will do that today. We're both data guys. We both are kind of geeky about that. Um, we talk about things like economic and jobs data. So I'm sure that will probably come up as well. Ian, let's go jump off. And uh, I'm sure we can talk about a lot of things. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Carrie. Uh, it's great to be here. So let's get to the starting line. One thing I didn't say, you just recently moved to Southern California. Uh, how's it been here so far? Um, good and bad. So we, we uh, my wife and I, two kids and our dog, we left London back as the pandemic was setting on. So that was a little bit rushed. Um, but the, the good is that Southern California is amazing. Uh, that sort of speaks for itself. I'm finding my way into the startup community bit by bit, mm -hmm. um, and it's very self-evident why this is a great place to be. Uh, the negative, of course, is that I'm trying to build community and new connections in a new place in the middle of a pandemic. So um, struggles that we're all having on many dimensions um, you know, are sort of in many facets of my local life right now. Yes, so that it actually brings up a great point because I think we're seeing a whole group of people that are rethinking where they want to live. And through this pandemic, a lot of companies have now enabled 
people to make that more active choice. One of the startups I'm invested in here has been around for a while. They just announced to their few hundred people that they could work anywhere or live anywhere in the U.S. Uh, as long as they were within the, the U.S. border and, and those time zones. As you think about building community, what are the things that those of us who've been here a while can do to be an olive branch, to be an outreach to folks like you and say, hey, welcome, we'd love to get to know you. We're not sure that we have anything to offer right now other than maybe interesting conversations, but what, you know, what are the things you think that folks like me should be doing? Well, I think it's some of the basics, right? So, um you know, when you have those warm introductions, making sure that you're, you and your network are, are welcome, welcoming and accommodating, mm -hmm. that you're willing to connect folks. And I felt so far that, um, you know, through the use of my existing network, I've been able to plug in, I'm in Santa Barbara, um, I've been plugging into the LA community, Orange County and San Diego, fairly easy. People have been friendly and generous. The other thing is to, you know, advertise. So doing this podcast, writing, whatever it is, just let people know where those entry points are. You know, you have to understand that there might be people that are new to the area or folks who have been away for a while who are coming back and the community has evolved and they're not sure where those entry points might be. So just making it easy for folks. And then when they knock on the door, welcoming them in sure. um, warmly. Yeah, it's been great to see. I mean, I, I, I've seen two types uh, pretty actively in the last few months. One is people moving here or moving back here to what you were talking about who've been gone and are just trying to get oriented. And so it's been great to see some of those folks emerge. The other are people who've been here for a long time who are finally turning to their backyard and saying, you know, last year I was on the road 200 days. I haven't been gone in... 200 days, I'm trying to find out what's going on here in my backyard. And so both of those, I, I've tried to be super welcoming and open to, uh, but I agree, it's uh, some of its basics, just roll, roll out the welcome mat and you know, not expect um, anything's going to necessarily happen right away. But um, it's, it's awesome to see. I feel like there's a great community building opportunity emerging through this, um, if there is any real silver lining. Yeah, and the, look, the, the innovation economy, economy is fundamentally about people. Yes. Right, and you want the best people in your community, and you want them to be connected up to each other and to the resources they need. This That's isn't right. rapid science, you know, and That's so right. you want to make sure those people want to be there, that if they come there, you're lucky enough to retain them. That's right. And the rest of it takes care of itself. That's right. Yeah, and that's been, you know, one of the things that I'm curious is you've gotten here, you know, have you dug into the, I'll call it the entrepreneurship data in, in this region to really get oriented around what's happening and, and where? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, the thing with, the thing that's been challenging for me is viewing Southern California as a single entity, mm -hmm. right? So you have, you know, you have various different centers of activity, even if we isolate it, you know, if we throw out Orange County, San Diego, Santa Barbara, we just focus on sort of immediate Los Angeles, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the beach, you've got downtown, you've got more like Pasadena way. Mm -hmm. And these are all distinct communities that have distinct strengths. So 
Um, and that's, you know, that shows up in the data, right? Uh, that's one of the challenges. It's not so much of the region. It's not so much you know, catalyzing activity. It's more about harnessing and integrating mm -hmm. it and getting some of those increasing returns to scale. Um, but, you know, Southern California is spread over a wide geographic area. There are a lot of, a lot of people populating yes. it. You know, um, you know, there are challenges of, of, of the terrain, you know, <laughs> you've got ocean, you've got mountains. And so, so it can be, those are inherent challenges, um, but I think there are tremendous benefits by linking up these sub-communities in a more cohesive way. That's right. Well, what I've said for a long time, I mean, part of what I think will really benefit LA or greater LA uh, is the diversity, right? We, we sort of have some of everything and we have certainly have some somewhat concentrated, I mean, media obviously in Los Angeles and biotechnology in San Diego as some examples. I mean, we, you know, here in Orange County, we have the global highest density of things like ophthalmology on one area and, we, and dentistry as well, which is fascinating. And those are big market opportunities. So there are those, but because we have such diversity as well, I feel like those collisions are where some of those innovation opportunities will emerge, right? And San Diego is becoming really uh, a, a leader in kind of big data in infiltrating biotech. And so now you've got software and, and science really coming together. And so, you know, curious your thoughts on sort of, do, do, does that diversity actually end up becoming a strength? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in a couple of different ways. So, you know, I buy, I don't know if, if you've read uh, Steve Case's third wave book, which is now, boy, it's probably more than a few years old at this mm -hmm. point. But, you know, phase one is sort of laying the infrastructure of the internet. Phase two is kind of adding that application layer. Mm -hmm. um, there are strong, you know, social media, e-commerce, that sort of thing. There are strong reasons why that gravitated to existing, you know, information technology hubs. And now as we get into this third wave, we're going to be deploying that, applying, you know, digital technologies, digital infrastructure into lots of different domains. And so that provides opportunity for lots of places. You know, you mentioned media, you mentioned, you know, software around biotechnology, and we're beginning to see that opportunity. Um, the second thing I would say is that, you know, Southern California is an open door to to immigration, not just foreign immigration, but from people around the country. Okay. And so I feel like, uh, you know, from that, from that angle, diversity, it's not just, um, you know, not just attracting the best scientists and entrepreneurs and technologists, it's really being in an environment where there's a lot of, you know, variety, right? And that attracts an international uh, talent base. And so I think for all those reasons, it makes the region appealing, not just from the industrial strength, but just from a lifestyle perspective. Um, that's one of the things, in fact, if you sort of look at lots of different you know, data surveys on high growth entrepreneurs, it's not just that where they that they want to go where the opportunities are. They want to live in interesting places, and mm -hmm. part of that cultural fabric is you know a diverse small business space, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so for lots of the, for all those reasons and more, not to mention we haven't even talked about the excellent weather and coastline. <laughs> um, that's the part I said earlier about self-evident. It's amazing. Yes. So lots of advantages on that front.
Absolutely. Well, that's what, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty competitive guy as you probably picked up. And, you know, as I was saying right before we started, you know, I, I moved here almost 20 years ago because this is where I wanted to be. And I think this, you know, this whole environment has kind of opened up, hey, a lot of people can make that decision now that maybe felt like they weren't able to. And so I, I look at it as like, we're, we're set up to win. We've got the best combination of, of lifestyle that there is anywhere between Santa Barbara to San Diego. And you can kind of decide what kind of life you want. And then really our job is just to connect people to each other within it so that they can do really interesting things together. Yeah. And one more thing to add to that too, by the way, was that, uh, so my wife and I spent, you know, a good chunk of time in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we were there together for four years or so, five, but we had both been there longer than that. But we spent five years in London. And one of the things that we loved about London was the fact that none of our friends worked in tech. Mm, yeah. So when you go to a dinner party in San yeah. Francisco or whatever we were used to doing, let's say there are four couples, eight people, seven to eight of those people <laughs> yes. worked in tech. Mm -hmm. And obviously the conversations flowed from that. And, you know, when you're living in that bubble, maybe it doesn't feel strange, but when we got out of it, you know, we had friends in, you know, in, in art, in, well, in banking, of course, a lot of people in banking, yes. but people in a bunch of different sectors, our friends were from all over, across the board. So we ended up not talking about work or we talked about things that were about work, but in fields that I didn't really fully understand. And so for me, it was just a much better experience, yes. you know, quality of life to, to mingle with people who, you know, I, I remember my wife worked for Salesforce and I remember at the time, and I remember one of the, one of the first, you know, parties we were at, someone said, what's Salesforce? And we just thought that was so This is awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so good. I, I, one of my neighbors, uh, he's, he's no longer at Salesforce, but we met a couple years ago. Uh, at the beach with our kids and we started talking and it turned out we were neighbors and he worked at Salesforce and he was saying, you're the first person in my neighborhood who actually knows who Salesforce is. And I, I gave him a high five and said, this is why we live here. This is great. We get, yeah. So I totally agree. That's, that's part of the richness of uh, a region like this that is so diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So what got you interested in, kind of researching innovation and, and entrepreneurship. And obviously, you know, want to talk about the book here in a, in a minute, but what sort of got you even interested in this topic? Well, uh, so it's actually really relevant to this conversation because it's place, it's where I was living. Mm. So a long time ago, um, I went to graduate school, studied economics, and my first job was as an economist at the Federal Reserve. Mm. So um, not a very likely place for someone who's working in tech and startups to originate from. I would argue we could, this is maybe another show, but a really great place to train sure. uh, for this work. Um, but that's where it all started. And I was working at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, felt, just wasn't feeling it. Um, I, was, I was in the wrong, I was, I was going down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. And I was just sort of there in San Francisco and friends were doing interesting things. And I actually had a friend who worked for um, uh, an early stage, you know, for, they had a fund, but they were also doing kind of an incubator studio model. And they were, but they were also interested in other things. And I did some analysis for them and they were like, you know, hey, 
why don't we pay you this much money to do these things for us? And I was like, wow, that's more than I made all of last year. <laughs> and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And I ended up building a firm, um, a consulting, you know, it's kind of built around, it was a consulting firm uh, around analytics and a couple other things that I ended up, you know, sort of falling backwards into entrepreneurship through that path. Um, and so, you know, it was just a happenstance of being in that, being good at data, um, mm -hmm you know, strategic thinking, studying markets, like these are all important things for tech, but just being in that location, it was this, you know, sort of accidental collision and, you know, it, and then it went from there. That's, that's awesome. So let's go a little deeper. As I mentioned, you, you, you just recently released this book with your co-author Brad Feld called Startup Community Way. It's had a very uh, semi-permanent place on my desk actually open for the last uh, couple months. <laughs> Uh, and I actually hold it up to the camera. It seems like at least once a day to somebody. Um, and, and it's been getting, you know, great reviews. I've found it super helpful, um, partly as a frame, you know, whether I'm talking to somebody new who just got here or somebody who's been here a long time, people who believe you can sort of top down, create these communities. You know, there's so much that I feel like we need to do to just build better community and, and, you know, push our efforts here, you know, share, share a bit about the book as you think about kind of how, how it came to be and, and summarize it just for my audience. And, and certainly I'm a huge fan and, and advocate for it, but you know, from, yeah. from the author's perspective, how did it come to be? So, yeah, so I'll, maybe I'll answer it in reverse order. I'll say sure. what it's about and then how we got there. Yes. So it's about startup communities, um, right. Which are, you know, groups of individuals who are in a place who are committed to helping entrepreneurs succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, we talk about that within the broader context of an entrepreneurial ecosystem, which we mm -hmm. draw the distinctions between mm -hmm. these. Which I, I do like that you guys do that, by the way. Yeah, it's important to understand that different people and different organizations are trying to accomplish different things. Yes. They're responding to different incentives, different organizational structures, different timelines, mm -hmm. a lot of different things. And it's important to understand that um, because it's, as you mentioned, there's this kind of this inherent friction between a number of different actors. So in 2012, Brad Feld, my co-author, wrote Startup Communities, which um, was sort of reflective of his experience building, being a member of the startup community in Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, excellent book, like really put, mm -hmm. really framed and put this notion of a startup community on the map. Um, lots of practical uh, tools, principles, guidance, based on that Boulder experience, which sort of went viral. You know, people mm -hmm. all around the world picked that up and were trying to adapt those lessons for their communities. Yes. Um, and so I think it's a remarkable text. You know, you mentioned I've done some teaching. I actually used it as my textbook uh, for, a, for a course on startups and cities hmm. um, for, you know, urban studies, economic sure. development type people uh, for graduate level. And that was one of my main, that was my main textbook. Um, a very practical oriented book. Mm -hmm. So Brad and I got to know each other around 2014. Um, I joke, say we were internet friends because we got introduced by email. We just sure. kind of would share ideas and stuff like that. Um, and around 2016, you know, we were having this discussion about how we might do something together. And this was the idea. Um, and the thinking was, well, look, um, startup communities have become a much more, not only have they grown in, in scale and scope, 
there are just a bunch more people putting energy in. Yes. This is like a centerpiece of regional and national economic growth agendas, right? This is, this is the, the economic development of now. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Versus the, the, you know, last generation. Well, unfortunately, we we are still seeing some remnants, right? Well, like of we, course, yeah. The, the, the hold the Luddites, right? The holdouts, yeah. yes, yeah. agree. But this is the yeah, yeah. So, so we um so the thinking was, I think, at a very raw level, was, um, I mean, you'd have to ask Brad, but I think he he wanted to do this with me because of that, you know, economics and research mm-hmm. background that I had, um, and just sort of you know making it more dressed up in the framework from a framework perspective in the sense of it making making it more defensible mm-hmm. to you know some of these you know like large corporates or governments who wanted to engage but needed to see the proof right which as you know is basically impossible in this work that's right and so that was the and it was to do some other things taking it more global um in scope beyond boulder and correcting a few things, but I don't know. I mean, I think he wanted to do it with someone else. He thought I could, you know, bring some fresh perspective that I was, he had seen my writing and my ability to do this work. And so, so we did it. And I mean, which is a pretty deep end to jump into with someone Mm -hmm. you've never worked with. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, we agreed to do this before we ever met in person. So that's awesome. Yeah. So Brad and I have grown close over the years and we can talk about that later just because I think he is someone to look up to as a leader. Um, Mm -hmm for lots of, you know, beyond, well beyond entrepreneurship. Um, so anyway, so, so that was it. So we, we kicked it off in, in the spring of 2017. We followed a very nonlinear process, um, much like a startup. You know, we thought we knew what we were going to do on what timelines and what it was going to look like. We started building that. And as we thought about it and talked to more, you know, customers, which in this mm-hmm. case, potential readers, we realized what we had was, was not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we could have put it out and people would have bought it, but it wasn't really transformational. And that's what we wanted. So we scrapped Mm it. I think we had 40,000 words. Most business books are 50 to 60,000. So basically threw away two thirds. Almost done. Yeah. And that sent us down this path. But what was, um, what was really on my mind and you hinted at this was this just completely different orientation of the way entrepreneurs and community builders see the world versus these new types of actors that were wanting, well, they're not new to wanting to engage. It's just that it was being dialed up, right? Mm-hmm. The scale and scope. And it was being positioned as too often as one group was, one group got it and the other didn't. Meaning that it was, one group was capable of understanding this way of viewing the world versus not. And that's not it. It's just that they didn't, again, like the right incentive structure, maybe the mm-hmm. right the right organization, right? All these things. And so what we wanted to do was to help bring those people over, convert them over Mm -hmm. to our side um, by explaining the systemic properties of startup communities and entrepreneurial ecosystems, explaining why their inherent behavior, things, characteristics and behaviors that cannot be changed, that are, in fact, it's more than that, that that, that the inherent uncertainty, nonlinearity, like that's where the beautiful creativity comes from. Yes. So not only do we, do we not want to prevent that from happening, we want to stoke that mm-hmm. um, and just understanding that we're not in control. And so explaining this to people, dressing it up in a science, 
so that people felt confident in what we were saying. The science is called complex adaptive systems. Mm -hmm. um, we can go down that track. Um, but, but the point being to say, look, this is a real thing. There's a science that explains this. Oh, and by the way, you know, those, those crazy entrepreneurs and community builders that you try to not listen to and instead try to do things your own way from the top down, you've got to start acting more like them, right? Instead of creating your own initiative, you think you have all the answers, maybe put some money behind these existing capabilities and mm -hmm. at least reach out to entrepreneurs. I mean, I cannot tell you how many communities I'll, I'll use. An, there's an example. I will not say where from where they, there was this beautiful innovation center that I'm being shown. And um, I just asked a very simple question. I said, well, so what do the entrepreneurs think about this? And they just looked around the room like, well, we never even thought to ask them. <laughs> so, yeah. So there, what so, do they want? That's right. Yeah. So there are so many lessons in this mm. book that not only the book itself, but our creation of this book that will, that will sound and feel a lot like creating a startup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I've listened to some of the other discussions that you guys have had about the process of the book. And so I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but I know, you know, you, you shared it that you, you guys kind of scrapped it part of the way through the classic pivot that a lot of startups um, have to go through to survive. Uh, and I think what you guys ended up with is just so useful. And it's exactly, you know, in a lot of cases, what I feel like I have to bring to the table to people to say, this isn't my opinion. This isn't my uh, idea. Here's some evidence that shows this is, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not, as much as I sound like I might be crazy part of the time. And, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this, I know, just believe that, but that's okay. I, I'm a, you know, crazy that I own. It's great to know that there are others out there that are, you know, that are equally crazy in our special way, but doing it for what we believe. I mean, I always tell people like what I'm doing, I'm doing for my kids because I want them to see a dynamic economy that they feel like is relevant and something they can get excited to want to be a part of. And to me, that has to look a lot different going forward than what it's looked like looking backwards. Yeah, and look, and there's two things I'll say about this, and then we can move on uh, if you want. But the first thing is to say is that this is really hard work, yeah. and those folks who don't want to spend the time to understand this or do it the right way, they, they sure won't be upset at the results. They won't be upset at a positive result 10, 15, 20 years from now. But, you know, that, then they'll be your best friend, and that's, yeah. that's one of the challenges. <laughs> The second, you know, I mean, the second thing is to say, we talk about this in the book, is that we want to really normalize this framework of complex adaptive systems. I believe it's useful in business management, you know, culture setting, for example. Yes. It's relevant to how you drove to work today, maybe less so uh, with, you know, traffic has kind of, you know, plummeted mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, raising your kids, like being at a family, um, you know, a family reunion with lots of people who have complex histories, like all these things where human beings with free agency, with free will, mm -hmm. interacting, achieving different goals, this is a complex system. Yes. And so instead of it feeling like this is a foreign thing to me, we want to say, no, it's actually everywhere around you. Yes. But when you go to your job, you know, corporate innovation leader or city mayor, 
you immediately go into this like top-down framework and you're you're applying the wrong framework to you know you're applying what we say is a a complex or complicated system a deterministic mm-hmm. system framework on what is an inherently non-deterministic complex system yes. so just shift that focus and that's what we want to do is normalize this thinking that's that's so good and even i mean within that would you agree though that there are within a, this complex system there are some complicated uh, systems that can be built or made more efficient within it, right? So as I think about, like our venture studio is designed not to truly control outcomes because building every company is unique. We we've built this from the point of view of we want to meet people where they are. We want to try to help them be more efficient, be more effective get there faster and cheaper than they probably can on their own. And there are some sort of better ways to do that than others. And experience is, is a big guide for that, but that that is really more about just driving efficiency in something that otherwise, like you, you don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be, but if you can give them more support and uh, more help faster, there's probably a better chance of, some success right so that but that fits within a bigger overall system is sort of how I tend to think about it yeah absolutely so you have a clear philosophy and process that's surfacing what the outcome could and should be yes right and that's the clear difference like you you can bring a scientific discipline to surfacing what the answer is Mm -hmm. right or or you can speed it along or you can you know you can't guarantee it that's right and you have to be willing to accept what that outcome is. Maybe okay. the outcome is this: there is no market for this business. Yeah, but you Maybe. can you can get there quickly, right? And 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 inexpensively. One of the, one of the things that a lot of our team and founders have to hear me here say all the time is, I don't ever have to be right. I like having a rigorous process by which we we get some diversity and we really go through a as you you said scientific process for getting to what we think is the best answer which may prove to be right. And I, I sort of don't care who it comes from as long as we feel like we've done a rigorous job of trying to get to it. Yeah. And in fact, look, there's some academic research that, that validates at least the accelerator model, which says that, um, you know, accelerated companies compared with other various benchmarks mm-hmm. um, actually get to outcomes faster some of those outcomes are what we would consider positive, right? Mm-hmm. Revenue, ability to raise capital, hiring employees, but also they fail faster. Mm-hmm. That is also a good outcome. A that good is thing. a more efficient outcome. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what that's doing. An accelerator process is compressing years worth of knowledge into right. uh, learning, years worth of learning in, into a three month period mm-hmm. or a month period sure. on Accelerator's design round. And that's what it is. And that's a, that is also a failing faster. It's not just a slogan. It is actually a good outcome. Yes. <laughs> I, and I think that, you know, the culturally, and I, I want to talk about this in a, in a couple of minutes, culturally getting comfortable that the outcome could be positive or negative is actually a big part of um, adapting a community to un- understand startups in a more meaningful way. Because I kind of look at, you know, I draw from, my failed outcomes all the time 
to try to not repeat them and to really in, instruct me or motivate me, but we'll, we'll get back to that. I mean, the thing I want to understand on the book, the book's been out now for a little while. What are the, I don't know if you've been asked this, what are the most rewarding pieces of feedback that you've gotten about it thus far? Well, um, some of the feedback has been different than what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So, I, so there is, um, one of the, one of the, there's the two chapters early on. Actually, there's a three consecutive chapters. We ended up breaking the book into, into three sort of parts. The first is the parts of the system. Mm -hmm. The third is more like the systemic view or more about the interactions. And then the third is sort of like, here's how you go and do it, which is really the Boulder thesis with complexity wrapped mm -hmm. around it. Mm -hmm. Here's how you put it into action. That first part of the book, um, explaining why startup communities exist, who are the actors involved, what are the factors, which we, you know, resources and mm -hmm. conditions, and then this framework of communities versus ecosystems, it was the part we put the least energy into, and we, I, maybe that's not true, but we certainly discounted it the most. Mm. And in fact, the two so chapters- you're like, everybody just knows this already, or is that yeah, like the glossary or the- yeah. A little bit the map just to, to get everybody on the same orientation. Yeah. Yeah. And so we thought, well, it's kind of like this, you know, I'm a, I go to a lot of concerts. I'm a big fish fan, right? I love it when they I've come been to a couple of fish concerts. So <laughs> well, well, that is, that's on our <laughs> list to do together. I, I need to, it's been a while. <laughs> awesome. Well, but it's like, I like it when they come out and play a ripper right yeah. off and you know, open the show. Yeah. So we were kind of like, well, should we just go dive right in? And we went through multiple gyrations on this where, especially the actors and factors, which we then in total Brad Feld style, we list them out, but we precede it with a framework that's memorable. So you can simplify mm -hmm. you know, 20 actors into one of three buckets. You sure. can simplify the factors into seven buckets. Um, and so we had it out, we had it in, we had it as the appendix, and then we ended up keeping it in. And it's like been one of the things, the seven capitals framework has been one of the most discussed thing. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what I, I've got. I, that's one of the things I want to talk about. And, and I think part of why I draw on it and use it so much is I've finally started to realize I've just thought about this way more than almost everybody else that I interact with and so it's a it's a good jumping off point I, mean, I did I'll have to show you I did a presentation here recently um, and use that I use that that framework as the only guide for it so it's yeah yeah good. I'm not surprised actually that you yeah. that you've gotten such resonance with that yeah good um, yeah and so I would say that's been surprising mm -hmm. um, the feedback you know has I mean, it's hard to get critical feedback, right? Um, and I would love more of that. Um, I try to get that. But it feels like, you know, this is not something um, that can be qu quickly absorbed. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it, this requires a little bit of marination, I think. Um, I think we wrote it as well as we could to try to make that process faster. Sure. But it took time to do this. It took time for me to understand what I was about to write about. Sure. You know, I, I, I realized that what I landed on was not something I knew really anything about. Sure. And so I had to spend time with it. And so 
I think we've compressed that process for people and hopefully we'll make it easier and faster for them. But um, I think some of the more weighty stuff, you know, maybe you can react to this, especially around the system stuff. It's super valuable, but it might take a minute to let it sink in. Sure. Well, I think I, mean, I totally agree with that sentiment. The other, as I think about it, I mean, you, you guys talk about this in here, and, and I think Brad uh, had, had at least referenced it in his first book, this notion of orientation, and it's, it's kind of this always 20 years from today type of mindset. And so if you think about that, that I have to always take this long view, then really the, the book has to help me uh, you know, execute and, and orient over long t term. So it really almost ends up being a, a reference book at the various stages of where we are. And so I think that that's part of this is, um, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you know, if you were in school and you, you had a class on your life or something and you, you study your entire life when you're 15, you're going to probably have to go back to that at various points along the way. Like, what did we talk about my fifties were going to be? Yeah. I, I forgot. So I think some of it's that from my perspective, some of it is that, is that, this isn't uh, a new exercise program that I can start today and kind of wrap my head around the whole thing. It's, you know, I have to understand where my community is uh, in, in this and, and start to, to, you know, help and con contribute there and try to draft the willing and others in now, but also see like what, what else is, is on the horizon. So I, I just think it's, it's probably more than, than most of us can really consume in one, uh, one read or one sitting. Yeah. And so, and on that point, those are the people, it's the people like you who need to lead and work with other people who are similarly committed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that there aren't other people who can have roles, sure. right? Especially entrepreneurs who are building companies right now, their participation yes. will be cyclical. It should be that way, but there needs to be this sort of lasting infrastructure, you know, the rails that carry it forward through those cycles. And my appeal would be to newcomers or maybe not newcomers to the area, but newcomers to the entrepreneurship space to not try to just do their own thing if you yes. have funding source, but to search out for people like you, others we described, people who have been entrepreneurs, have credibility and connections in the entrepreneurial community, um, who are committed to building this thing for the rest of their lives in that community, those are the people you need to empower. Yes. And you don't even need that many of them. It can be one or a few, honestly, mm -hmm. who yes. can be change makers for the long haul. Um, so yeah, I can't stress that enough. Um, uh, and that, I think that that's a great, uh, great place to sort of go to next, which is culturally, what, what, you know, what, what are your pieces of advice around uh, a culture that maybe hasn't been so, um, and I, you know, I don't know if celebratory accepting of failure, number one, and, you know, saying, look, that, that was a good try. Let's dust you off and get you back in the ring for the next one. Or, um, you know, as well as that, this, this idea of, um, sort of a wage, wage economy versus a asset and value economy of I've got, I got to get paid today, which 
from my perspective with what I do and in the startup community, it's all about long-term value. It's, it's all about building these new innovative machines, these companies that, that create and ultimately capture long, long-term value. So how, how do you orient more people to that if they've been used to a transactional income economy? Yeah, so I think it's broadly about, um, I just think of top of funnel, mm-hmm. right? So if you live in a community that has generally done well in, um, in industries that thrive on the allocation of scarce resources rather than abundant resources, mm-hmm. of course, you know, these are zero sum industries, right? Yes. Like real estate. Yes. There's that's only, it. that's right. There's only so much to go around, yep. right? We don't, we don't all become wealthier by sharing our real estate. Um, so that's, I mean, that's an easy thing. It's easy to understand, but it's difficult to change, right? Mm-hmm. It's simple, but not easy. Yes. yes. Um, so I think part of that is, you know, that dynamism we talked about, about welcoming newcomers, about mm-hmm. retaining the young talent. I mean, I don't mean to be ageist, but it is about the young before you know, they, you know, march into the halls of, you know, management consulting or investment banking or other large firms, but, you know, normalizing this for them. I think when people, and and by the way, I'm not convinced that your first job at a startup should be you as the founder. I I totally agree with that. Yeah. For people to go work at startups, um, because you learn so much, you will learn more as a summer intern at a startup than you will your first two years at McKinsey or something. That's right. Sorry, McKinsey people, but you know, um, it's, and you get exposed to it. And most importantly, you, um, so when I say learning, you know, I mean, it's across a broad range of things, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to do a bunch of different stuff. You're going to see about like solving problems, urgency, all these yes. things don't exist in those um, places. But the other key thing you're going to see is that, those people leading it aren't that different from you. They're not that special. They're not more special than you. And a friend of mine, an investor. That's in, confidence building. That's right. That's so, that, I think that's brilliant as to point out. Well, and it's that plus it's like seeing it's, it's like the, it's inspiration. Like I can, Oh, that person can do it. So can mm-hmm. I. Yes. A friend of mine, who's an investor in Europe, he recommends that founders go spend time in Silicon Valley or uh, it's, sorry, he's an investor in Europe and he's, he recommends his, his entrepreneurs go spend time in Silicon Valley and they think it's to build their network. But what he wants to show them is they're, they're these just are like you. Better. Yeah, exactly. They're benefiting from the place. Yes. And once you see that, then it changes that perspective. Yeah, that's so good. You know, and, and the interesting thing, Ian, is I, I definitely have those moments where um, I feel like in, a, in an area that hasn't had a lot of exposure to an area like Silicon Valley, there's this great inferiority complex where oh, we're, we're going to listen to the people from outside as opposed to the people here who are completely capable, but consciously decided that life was better here. I mean, that, that's sort of, I mean, there are definitely those times where I go, well, this isn't, as you said earlier, this isn't rocket science. This is just, getting getting a group together to solve a, a real problem in the market and building a, a business around it. And sometimes these things scale rapidly and that's pretty fun. 
it's fun to be part of it. I, the first company that I got involved with down here was I was the only business person in the company with three engineers and we added a fourth and I got to do it all. And the beauty was it was all things I got to go discover. And yeah. I think that was so valuable for me and we were building something new. And so it wasn't like you could even go into the marketplace and find somebody who had done it before because it was new. And I think that's what sometimes people don't fully appreciate is I just need to find people who are capable of going and learning things and discovering things. Yeah. That, that at least part of my team needs to be that because if it were all the same, then why are we doing this in the first place? Usually we're, we're doing it because there's a new way or a better way or a new idea. Yeah. And the, and the other thing I want to point out too, um, because I, I mentioned the age thing, what I meant specifically about that was bringing people into this world of startups and entrepreneurship and tech before they, you know, um, get deeply embedded in, you know, chasing the money train, sure. on the easy sure. life. But I want to be crystal clear about something. The typical age of a founder, mm -hmm. a high impact company. So whether we, we can define it on a few dimensions, this is backed up by research, yes. academic research. Whether we're talking about tech industry, venture backed, or like top 0.1% of growth outcomes defined by job creation or revenue growth. Mm -hmm. The typical age, and it's amazing how, well, now however we look at it, it, they tend to have the same distribution. Typical age is early 40s, yep. time of founding. Now that makes a lot of sense when you think, oh, people spend time in industries, they learn about what problems are, they gain maturity, they, you know, they gain experience, general business acumen, all these things, and then they see an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that people get, you know, we can get caught up in the ease of a paycheck. We yeah. get, you know, we've got kids, we've got mortgages, we've got all these things, but, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be that trade-off. I'm not saying it's easy, but I just want to say, even if you're in your late 30s or early 40s or, or later, like, you're actually more likely to succeed. Yes. Conditional on starting, you're more likely to succeed as you get older. That's right. And that, that, I mean, to me, that was a huge reason for us to do what we did here was to say, we know it's going to be hard. We know you've got, you're, you're kind of stuck. You like, you like this steady income that I would argue is probably less steady than it ever has been given the disruption in our world and the increasing amount of it. And so betting on yourself and having a support system to at least make it incrementally easier to get you to capital, to get you to customers, to get you to talent seems like a viable partnership opportunity, right? Like that, that was sort of what, what, led to our creating what we did and say, we know there are plenty of capable people here. We just need to inspire them to, to take that step. Yep, absolutely. So I mentioned this, I'm super appreciative. I've used it so many times. I said this seven capitals model. So it's easy for people. I, I loved it partly because I think it's easy for people to take that. We just need more money uh, idea. And, and sort of the financial capital is the only thing that's holding a community back. And I think in many cases, entrepreneurs are being done a disservice when they're told, get your pitch deck, go raise money, uh, you know, success appears. Uh, and so 
you know, I think we have a, you know, if I, if I rank order where our challenge is, I think it's right now it's cultural. Um, you know, we talked about this idea of like scarce resource versus abundant. Um, and I think the cultural capital actually does hold back the financial capital, which to allocate it, we've got it. It's just not getting allocated. So how have you seen others, you know, successfully sort of educate and inspire that participation? Well, you just, you hit the, you actually touched on it with that last word. It's participation. You have to bring these people into the community because mm -hmm. they don't understand it. They don't mm -hmm. know. It, mm -hmm. Right. And I think, you know, like one of the, one of the best things that they can do is be mentors for your programs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's a university or an accelerator or whatever it is. Um, but people who have lived life, who have created some wealth, maybe who have work business experience, who have a network, um, assuming they have the right, you know, sort of, I'd say constitution, right? Being empathetic. Yes. The ability to be empathetic, the ability to be curious, the ability to make it about the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. They have so much potential to offer that they don't even realize it. They just don't know where the entry points are. And what I've seen happen time and time again, so some people won't be interested and that's sure, okay. Of course. But what they end up finding is that it's exciting and fun and they learn a lot. I mean, you've been at that table, you've been across the table from so many founders. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, I just had this last two weeks ago, I'm mentoring one of the Techstars accelerators. Uh, this one's in Iowa, it's all virtual. Mm -hmm. And I'm super busy. You know, and I was thinking, I had that moment. This happens to me every time. Ah, oh, six hours of my day. Man, I should have done that, you know. Uh, but maybe, I, yeah, yeah, and then I do it. And it's and like so, the best it. hours I've had in a month. Exactly. And now I'm mentoring an exciting pair of founders that are going to be innovating in the telehealth space. And mm. it's amazing. And so the more people we can bring into that and turn them on, you know, the better. Yes. And then we'll just sort of figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, Another useful framework that I'm going to steal from Brad Feld, he, um, he calls it angel investing as for-profit philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And his whole thing is, look, you got a lot of rich people in this community. I, obviously, in Orange County, I don't have to stress that enough. And they want to fund things like museums and hospital wings and all these other things. They want to contribute back to their community. My argument is, if you want to contribute to the future of your community, you want a vibrant um, startup community. Economic, yep. Yeah, you want to produce these locally grown companies that will employ lots of people and keep this thing going. Um, oh, by the way, if it fails, if these companies fail, um, it's similar to a tax write-off for a charitable donation. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, that they don't know how to unlock that. So even if you're able to turn those people onto this idea, right, it's, they need a mechanism to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Being an mm -hmm. angel investor is hard. Yes. Doing, it, doing it well That's is right. really a full-time job. It's yes. hard to do unless right. you really know what you're doing. And so providing them an avenue to do that is, is super, um, you know, is super valuable. Yeah, so, that's, that's so good. That's kind of it. I guess basically what I'm saying is, is it's just exposure, mm -hmm. right? And normalization. Yes. And some people will like it and some people won't. That's right.
So let's let's turn you know another player corporates. How do you you know in a community where maybe you have a, a good number of companies that are older generation type companies, they're not used to working with startups. What what role do you see them playing that's productive in in startup communities? Well, it's a you know look there are a bunch of things. I mean the corporates um you know i i think we both know that there's a there's a range of engagement right mm -hmm. some can be extremely helpful some can be neutral some can be harmful yes um you know i guess it's sort of i mean i look at it in a couple of ways there's the difference between the corporation itself as an entity mm -hmm. which you know, maybe they're in, maybe you know it's everything from active corporate development function. Uh, maybe they do corporate venture capital. Maybe they just sponsor events. Sure. You know, there's a whole range of different things. But for me, it's about the individuals, the people in there. Sure. Yeah. So, um, if I could suggest that, uh, you know with executive buy-in that it becomes part of people's job to, you know, um, I don't know, you have volunteering opportunities. I'm not trying to say take that away from, you sure. know, you know, social like, causes or something. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. Mentoring startups as a, as, as a, a job. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. So things like that, making sure that startups, have a, a place to go uh, to navigate mm -hmm. your your organization. A lot of times, people don't know where where to go, right. and the people that do are are uh, unlocking that through existing networks. Right, networks can be very exclusive, and so I think you know it's just kind of the same answer. It's just mm -hmm. to all these things. It's okay engagement. So making that a requirement of the individuals of some subset of individuals, mm -hmm. or allowing them to opt in and getting credit for it. Um, and over time, relationships will form, and then people will learn slowly how to navigate that corporation. Yep. Maybe some of those employees will, you know, uh, maintain relationships with those startups as well. Amazing. Well, Ian, I know uh, I know you have to go. We're we're going to schedule part two of this because there's so much more to uh, to talk about. But uh, before we go today, you know, one of the things I always like to end with is um, that sort of piece of advice or key lesson. So as you think about, you know, these people that are newly moving to a community and they're trying to figure out where is or how do I get involved in the startup community? What, what advice would you have right now? Um, well, first of all, find those nodes, mm -hmm. right? This is a fun little thing I like to do when I go to a city. If I have extra time is, let's say I'm in, I don't know, Provo, Utah, I'll type startup Provo or entrepreneur Provo. And I try to find out who the women or men are who are showing up like as mm -hmm. bloggers, running organizations, whatever it is, there are things that pop up, right? And if it is a vibrant startup community, it should be very easy for me to find those people, mm -hmm. to contact those people and for them to respond to and accommodate my visit. That doesn't mean they're going to clear their day and sure. you know show me around town. It might mean they make an introduction, but find out where those nodes are. It's very easy to do. The second thing to understand is that this is a community, and um, 
you don't just show up and expect to get. So the best way to get involved is to find ways to help other people. Mm. Um, trusting that over time that will serve you well. Uh, it gives you a chance to build meaningful relationships. Um, it gives you a chance to understand what the key challenges are and who the, who the people are. And it's, you know, it's also feels good. So for all those reasons, you know, find, find the right places to plug into, show up, listen, and see how you can pitch in and then mm. just let it evolve from there. It's That's, again, it's simple. <laughs> it, it's, it is when you say it, but I mean, you, you've lived it like I have and uh, it's great to just hear it clearly articulated and hopefully that serves as a, as a great guide for, for my listeners. So Ian, thank you so much for taking the time for leading by example, for putting it down on paper and sharing it with the world. And, and thanks for this, uh, this friendship that we're starting. I'm, I'm really excited to, to see where it goes and hopefully sometime soon we'll close the gap between uh, Orange County and, and Santa Barbara and uh, do it face to face. I mean, you're, you're doing your part to, to accelerate uh, all this startup community activity in the world. Thanks. Thanks for all you do. Yeah, thank you too. And thanks for having me. This was so fun. Uh, Absolutely. Let's get part two on the books. We'll do it. Right away. All right. Talk soon. <laughs> thanks, Kerry. You've just listened to Accelerate OC. Join our live recordings every Tuesday morning at accelerateoc.com or listen, like, and share anytime from your favorite podcast spot. Let's accelerate OC together. <laughs>